0: welcome to when there are no words conversations between artists about grief and hope in their work this series is sponsored by 10 of those resources that point to jesus change lives to support the podcast get ad-free listening bonus episodes and other gifts join us on acast plus for as little as five pounds a month Hello, welcome to episode two of When There Are No Words. I'm Michael J. Tinker, and today I'm chatting with singer-songwriter Sarah Groves um, from uh, across the Atlantic. This is the second of four conversations with friends from across the pond before we have um, some chats with uh, British artists. And uh, we have uh, a conversation about honesty in art the role of the artist and their place and importance in the life of God's people we have an honest discussion about depression and shame uh, and the beauty that there is in that honesty and of course we talk about the hope of the gospel it's another hopeful conversation oh and um, the West Wing get a mention and soup Um, but you'll have to stay tuned for that um do stick with us to the end of the conversation partly because it's just worth listening to that conversation uh, it'll certainly be uplifting uh, but also um there'll be news of our big book giveaway um so do get involved in that and also halfway through the show you can find out about the special discount we've got um, for a book for all listeners and um, that's courtesy of our sponsors 10 of those so i hope you enjoy this conversation as much as i did so here I am with the wonderful Sarah Groves. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank um, you. I recognize, I recognize that some people, um, especially here in the UK, might not know who you are. So I wonder if you could just tell us who you are, what you do.
1: Mm. In a nutshell, um, <laughs> I, the, the highlights are I'm a, a singer-songwriter. I've been... Um, touring and do uh, you know as a touring musician for 25 years and uh 14 albums um and i've been to the uk a few times i have um uh three children and a husband they're older now they're 22 20 and 15 my my kids are you know in that place launching into life And um, yeah, and then my husband and I own a place here in St. Paul. I live in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we own uh, the Art House North, which is a a planting from the art house in Nashville, which was uh, the um, brainchild of Charlie Peacock and his wife, Andy Ashworth. And Creative Community for the Common Good is our sort of... That's the, the banner that we work under, and um, so we're doing a lot of wow. things here locally through the arts, and having hard conversations through the lens of the arts is a aspect of what we do, um, and then we have a lot of theater and concerts and things like that, um, so we live across the street. There's a church right across the street. That's Art House North, and then we're here in the heart of
0: St. Paul. That sounds amazing. Um, what What got you starting to write songs? What? what pushed you to write songs and get them out there
1: um well I I was writing from very young it was my way of I struggled in school Uh, my mom was shocked because she thought you know I was reading really young and but just the way that I learned and the way that I interfaced with you know normal school just wasn't a great Mm. fit And so I had a lot of just frustration and things like that. And the way that I worked through that was playing the piano. So from a very young age, I would come home and spend, you know, one to two hours a day um, just poking around, writing my own songs, copying other songs. So I took lessons. So that was a part of my life. And then, but I didn't know anyone who worked in the arts in that way. It was always, you know, my dad sang in church, but that wasn't his career. He was a professor of Old Testament. My mom was an elementary school principal. So I went into education because I saw that modeled and loved it. And I taught high school for three years right out of college, um, which is our secondary. What do you call high school again?
0: Uh, Secondary school. Secondary.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, So I taught like 15 year olds, uh, 10th graders. And then um, I was about three years into that. And my husband and my father-in-law were just, um, they're, they're activators, you know, they have that gift. And so they felt like the songs I was playing at home just for myself had merit. And so, um, yeah, so we started kind of going out touring and within a year we were on the road full-time Troy and I, and, uh, so I, that was in 97, right. we started, um, recording and, and, uh, traveling. And, um, so yeah. And then it just never stopped basically. Uh, every, you know, in the early days, I just remember every invitation, would lead to more invitations. And that's, we just kind of followed mm-hmm. that thread. And I feel very, I heard Andy Gullahorn say once, I'm very grateful for my small career. And <laughs> I also have a very, I have a very like wonderful um, listening, you know, audience that have just su- supported me over these years. And it's in my little niche, but I love it. And um, yeah. And then to be able to also, be in the community through Art House North has been wonderful.
0: I keep having to remind myself that nineteen ninety seven is twenty five years ago. It 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 seems like it's close to twenty six. Yeah, no, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So this podcast is about artists who explore, uh, like you say, those difficult questions, um, particularly grief, struggle, and and hope, um, and listening. Through your back catalogue, it's quite clear that those themes are there from very early on. So what what draws you to those themes Mm -hmm. and and the need to write about that?
1: Well, I think I've gotten closer and closer to I and I I don't think this will ever stop that you're trying to sort of become who you are and do the things you're called to do uh, more clearly, more uh, uh, when you start out, you're. you have all this baggage or oughts and shoulds and things. And so I have learned about myself that the best songs come from my bearing witness in the most truthful way possible. And that I I feel like even the Psalms really bear this out that, that David is just bearing witness. So like the role of a, the role, the different roles that we have uh, in our, like in our faith communities, I feel like the artist is supposed to talk about the whole thing and, and just, react basically on a very human level to what is happening and I think the closer I can get to telling the truth about how that felt how this affected me you know what that meant how I held you know my my faith in this moment of crisis, the closer I get to telling myself the truth and then telling the truth through my art making um that's very helpful I think it's more not that it's all utility but it just it seems to resonate more and is really important Mm. to me. So I feel like I have left. I think I used to start my songs by asking, what is the faithful thing to say? And I don't start writing that way now. Um, I just, I think the faithful thing would be to bear witness to the whole thing. And I think if I only bear witness to, you know, the, the glory and the shine, then I lose credibility. I think we have to bear witness to the whole spectrum of the human experience and there's something about the human experience that, you know, um, I think Jesus in his very being and, and what God does through Christ is evidence that that human experience is of, it's valuable. It's, it's something he wanted to be acquainted with. And so I think mm. sometimes we are moving in the other direction where we want to be acquainted with the God way, the God mind in, in a sort of hyper-spiritual way. And I've always been drawn always since I was little to, but wait a minute, what's the orthopraxy? What is happening here in practice? We're here, Mm. we're here, and this is hard and we're doing this thing. So I, um, I obviously, you know, spiritual things are part of I, I shouldn't. There's really no delineation to me between the two. I, I would yep. work to tear down that that sacred secular divide and um, into. Sorry, I forgot where we started with this question, but no. yeah, that that's what, <laughs> what drives me. The themes, that's, but, yeah, that's yeah, that's what drives me when I get out of bed in the morning. I want to create or or unpack or name the things that are happening to me because I think when I do that for myself and it helps me, then it goes out from there and it. it Helps other yes. people say, "Oh my goodness, that," you know. So writing about, I've written over the the last. It took me a long time. I, I wrote about my marriage, and I've written about relationships and all that. But it wasn't until uh, much later that I began writing about my journey with depression, and that was an, a whole thing. It was. I I didn't realize how how much shame I had around that, mm. how much hiding I was doing, um, and, and trying to keep everything kind of tucked in. And so like over and over again, the, the album making process has brought to light. Um, oh, this is, I've got to work on this. This is a whole room Mm -hmm. that I haven't even entered. And, um, so I find that it's very helpful, cathartic, um, but, but beyond that, like turns the light on, right? It's, it brings, I, it brings light into places that i've been hiding and i think that that is important too
0: yeah oh goodness so i was just scribbling down notes there are so many um avenues we could we could go with all of that um and I, th- I think you're so right aren't you that um us speaking from that place of difficulty enables other people to go it it, it, it gives credibility like you say because it's real but it also I think we sometimes people think they say we've got to sing about all the glory and the light, and that's somehow what's going to drag people out of difficulty. Whereas actually, like you say, the Psalms, they don't start there. Mm-hmm. They they end up there eventually sometimes, mm-hmm. but they spend a good while just going. This I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to praise you right now. I my bones are being crushed and you're crushing them. I, I what do I do, mm-hmm. and actually as we read that we go okay this is i can walk this journey with him because he's starting in the place i'm at mm-hmm. rather than he's going come here from a great <laughs> distance and and i certainly have found that with your music um i was I was going to come onto this later but since we're talking about this kind of thing let's do it now um your song enough mm-hmm. on flood plains yeah um so what year did this album come out 2015
1: is it seventeen? Yeah, fifteen. Floodplain okay. came out in seventeen or in fifteen, sorry. Abide with me was yeah, seventeen.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we heard it a few years later. So we were in Nashville for Hutchmoot in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. And we had just come out of a very difficult church situation. And I think I I was never diagnosed, but I think I went through depression for the first time mm-hmm. at that point. And and hearing your album and you singing it from, it seems such a place of pain and struggle. I could go with that, um. And and you tr- and in in the song enough you you're you're so honest about the well you sing about these stretches of sorrow, um, they're patches of joy but stretches of sorrow, and, and that being my experience at that point. But you're clinging on to the hope. And it's almost like clinging on for dear life, and that you know that's all we can do, and that is an act of wonderful faith um so thank you for doing that um and it's so it's so vital, but enough of me talking about your song could you tell tell us more about that song and perhaps that album where where that all came from
1: yeah the um I talk about this story now a lot because I think that um, I stumbled on a whole, not stumbled. I knew we were there. (laughs) I know, I knew we were there because I have many people in my family and in my life that struggle with clinical depression. And I watched them in a faith community just do their best and let, you know, I I had, like I said, heaps, I just had a lot of shame myself. And then when I started waking Mm. up to my own loads and loads of shame around this uh, that I was dealing with depression. I started looking at the other people in my life. um, And, you know, my dad has been faithful. He's been faithful with his depression, but he has dealt with clinical depression his whole life. And so I found this frame where I in the frame we were in, and I grew up in a, in a holiness background in a Pentecostal space. And, um, and really it's not, and I love my people and I love, you know, but, and I am still speaking to, you know, that space. I, I am not in a, in that church now, but I really don't, I love, I haven't like burned any bridges or anything like that. But what I would want to say is in that space, these things are made they are a spiritual problem, really, period. That is the way that they are addressed. And I don't understand how the body and the spirit and all those things work together. Um, but I have seen the people in my life who have struggled. They have extra rocks in their backpack, and they get up every day. And they. many of them have made something beautiful, and many of them with the extra weight of this heaping shame, heaping shame. And I think look at you. Look at us. We look what we you made. Yeah. Mm. So uh. I wanted to speak about that. And that wasn't from, that wasn't me just trying to like, well, I'm not going to get better. So I'm just going to like, get comfortable here. And you know, I, I told Troy, I don't want to turn into Gollum and say, this is my thing, my pet, my depression <laughs> is my precious you know you can't take that or that's Hmm. my identity it's not my identity this is the trail that I'm on it's not who I am but I'm on this trail I find myself there and it still again since floodplain I have had two more pretty big bouts of depression and I've known better now what to do I know how to take care of myself I know how to push pause and how to think about it but the the gift of the floodplain in that metaphor, I'll I'll just go into that for a second, and then mm. uh, this this obviously this goes into a whole lot of directions for me. But um, I when I was in my deepest depression ever it was 2013 2014, and I um, I could not see myself in the future. I would look at the calendar and think, how much longer do I have to do this? Meaning life. So I didn't have. I wasn't even aware. I didn't have some kind of suicide, suicidal ideation or anything like that. But I was asking myself daily, how long, how long is life? (laughs) Uh, How long do we do this? You know, and...
0: How long, oh Lord.
1: Exactly. And I was not handling it well. I was Mm self-medicating at a level. I was not taking care of myself. And, and my life was, that was, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was very like self-damaging. And so... I was trying to add lots of good friends who were saying like you need to read these verses and eat this, you know, eat more better food and and run and do all these things and I believe all these things are true and I'm doing all those things now. But at that point I was at such a critical place and we couldn't even with with this set of friends I couldn't even talk about it. So I realized I I, I was trying to engage all these things and one day I was running along the Mississippi River. I live just a quarter mile from the Mississippi. And I was running downtown Saint Paul, trying to get those endorphins going, just literally holding on for dear life. And the way mm. that 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 shows up for me is, um, well, the way I describe it is: if you had to a really difficult confrontation ahead in your day, you know how you might feel that morning. You wake up and like, maybe you you know you're like you got fired or you have to fire someone. I mean, at that level of conflict, mm. so I would I will wake up to those feelings of conflict days on end for no reason. So my body is doing something. Now my brain is a meaning maker. So it runs around and it tries to find, well, why do you feel terrible? Well, because you're a terrible mother, because you're a, you, you've basically failed at life. You know, it'll pull up all kinds of wonderful things, you know? Uh, and so my, your body is going to keep trying to make sense of what's happening to you. So then I entered a season of insomnia and I was, I didn't sleep for three months. And that was, that was the worst of it. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And um, so this is the point where I'm running downtown. I would stay up all night. I would just you know try to get all this adrenaline in my system uh, to just be able to go to sleep. And so um, I was running and I saw a, a man experiencing homelessness down by the Mississippi River. And I thought about his life and I, most of the people experiencing homelessness that I know even by name here in our neighborhood, they have mental health issues. And so I was thinking about him and how maybe he didn't have the protections that I had, the many support networks that I have. And um, and then I, I looked up the hill and at the top of the hill, St. Paul's on a bluff. And <clears throat> at the top of the bluff was the James J. Hill House. And he was a railroad baron and he had built this beautiful mansion at the top of on Summit mm. Avenue in St. Paul. And I was thinking about these two men and... Thinking, how do I, like in my sort of emotional poverty or in this, you know, this place, I know people that are just rock solid. They don't struggle. They, they really don't deal with that kind mm-hmm. of thing every day. <clears throat> and my, my question to the Lord and as I'm running and trying to get these endorphins going is, what do you make of this man? And then what do you make of me? Am I not trying hard enough? Am I, like, did he make his bed and now he has to lie in it? What's your view of him? And what's your view mm. of me? I'm like, I'm on the floodplain down here and the waters rise and I am flooded. I, I can't bootstrap my way mm. out of that place. And I felt this very quiet word to my heart that um, some hearts are built on the floodplain. And it wasn't a negative for me. The floodplain for years had been a place where I hiked and would, it's verdant and green. It's it's not a utility place. It's not practical. You can't build on it. It literally exists to, to, uh, you know, accept the water when it over overflows its bounds, you know? So it's, and it's, it's amazing. There are things that happen in that biome that don't happen anywhere else in the world. And so it was this, it was a positive. It wasn't like your depression is positive, but it was like some people's hearts are built in this fragile, very close to the edge place. And, I, it was an invitation to write about it. Will you write about this place? And I was at this point bawling and running and, <laughs> you know, but I wow. accepted that. I thought, and I felt like, I felt like God said, this is not your identity in Christ. I've got folks all over. I've got folks that are on the bluff. I've got folks at the, you know, I, and mm-hmm. I've got folks on the floodplain. I have a lot of folks on the floodplain They're They're, you know, beautiful children of God, and they wake up every day, and they've got extra rocks in their backpack. And so it was an invitation for me to write about this place um, and explore. Later, I read that the floodplain actually scientifically is both the most fragile and the most resilient biome in the world. So these words, I I hold them together. We are fragile, and we are resilient. And I've seen that in my own life. And so I, I wanted to explore that space.
0: That's that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you for sharing that with others so that they can they can if they're walking that road, they can they can walk it with you. Um I'm quite conscious as as an artist that Uh, I think we have a responsibility not only to tell our own stories, but also to, I guess, steward the stories of those around us. And you mentioned earlier on about reacting uh, to uh, to what is going on around you. I mean, how how do other people's stories come into your writing? Uh, Do they? Yeah. um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people assume like any relationship story I'm writing is about Troy and I, and it is not. <laughs> and I'm often, yeah, I'm exploring or, or look, putting myself in someone else's shoes and exploring enough. That song was, you asked about that earlier, but I had a, I had a friend who had experienced food insecurity and I had gone to her house and we were talking in the kitchen and I just got up cause I'm at home there. I got up and opened the cupboard to get something and there was one, a couple cans of beans. And I turned to make a joke about it. Like someone needs to go grocery shopping. And the look on her face was just, and they were college educated and like, you know, they just had hit mm-hmm. on, they'd hit on a time. And I realized it, it opened my eyes to the number of people around me who might seem solvent and are not, or are really just, mm-hmm. and, and again, the shame covers that. And so the song enough, I am, you know, this, this friend of mine remained very scarred by that experience. So even years later when they were doing better and they were on a more firm foundation, there was just a lot of fear about what if that happens again? What if we lose everything again? And so I was writing that song, you know, that there's this little, I, I heard in this little promise in, in, uh, God says to the people of Israel, basically, you know that you will find honey in the rock, and this is sweetness in hard places. And um, so, I was just thinking about that. That there aren't a lot of things I can say for sure, and as I get older, there are fewer and fewer things that I can say with mm-hmm. total certainty. Because my my ability to deal with mystery has grown <laughs> exponentially as I've gotten older. Um, and uh, but I I felt like. I have found sweetness in hard places. That is a truth about life that I believe is mm. res, resonates with me and you know um you know life can be exceptionally difficult but I um yeah so I was trying to capture that idea uh in for on behalf of her story. So she's the mm. one, you know, um with a child upstairs sleeping and um oh beautiful. Waiting and kindness, yeah.
0: I hope you've been enjoying the conversation so far. We'll be back to it in a moment. But I wanted to tell you about a special discount exclusively for listeners. It's for the book Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Here's the blurb. Lament is how we bring our sorrow to God, but it is a neglected dimension of the Christian life for many Christians today. We need to recover the practice of honest spiritual struggle that gives us permission to vocalise our pain and wrestle with our sorrow. Lament avoids trite answers and quick solutions, progressively moving us towards deeper worship and trust. Exploring how the Bible, through the Psalms of Lament and the Book of Lamentations, gives voice to our pain, this book invites us to grieve, struggle and tap into the rich reservoir of grace and mercy God offers in the darkest moments of our lives. I'm sure you'll agree that that fits very much with what I've been chatting about with Sarah. Now you can get that book with a 30% discount using the code no words or lowercase sg uppercase 23. That's no words sg 23. Pop that in into the basket on the 10 of those website and you can get 30% off that book. Right, back to the conversation. I guess uh, another uh, more recent example um, uh, from listening to your, um, I thought it was a great idea, you doing the commentary on your album, on your recent one, and you talk about Remains of the Day and um, dealing with the difficulty of celebrity pastors. Again, like I say, we came out of a difficult church situation, so that resonated a lot, and and the Talking Heads influence as well. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Always good to have a bit of talking heads in there. Mm-hmm. Um, how when I guess the uh, question is when people are dealing with something quite difficult and deep and sensitive, how do you navigate telling their story? I mean, do you do you literally ask them permission or do you feel if I can keep it vague enough it's gonna be helpful in a more wider way? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with the sensitivity?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, have, I have to, you know, struggle with that. And I remember reading Anne Lamott, she, she basically said, like, everyone's fair game. They know you're a writer. <laughs> so <laughs> If, if they didn't want to be talked about, they better be on their best behavior. They, they knew you were going to write about them basically. And so she kind of goes all out. I am sensitive about that. Yeah. I want to, I've made mistakes in the past too, but I've been overall, I'd say no one knows it's them. <laughs> I've had people, I've had people come back and say that song, I wrote a song called tornado and, uh, you know, it's about this, this destructive, you know, personality or whatever. And, um, and, I was writing about a couple different people that this kind of person that just comes, no matter what you do to sort of like firm things up, they come in and just rip things up mm. and, um, and how I wasn't going to let bitter seeds grow in me. You know, how do I keep on my end, how I respond, how do I continue to live with this tornado person? And, you know, one of them was a friend of a friend's sibling. And then another person was a person in my life and they called and said, I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> Did you tell and them? I, no, no, no. Oh no. No. And I think I think when I'm working with I work a lot with songwriters and teach do a lot of teaching around songwriting and um we have workshops at Art House and then I do one-on-ones and things like that. And um one of the things I find is people are afraid to get specific because they feel like they're being exposed. And I think that's kind of where the the art and the poetry you know, that's where that resides and that, um, there are ways to be very truthful and actually very clear, um, mm. without, without exposing someone or, you know, um, but I will sometimes write someone and say, I just want you to know this was, this is a, was influenced by your story or something like that. Most yes. of the, every time I've done that, it's been well received, but it's never been negative. Like you need to know this is you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like the like yeah. yeah like the preacher who um uses it to um yes and that's not a good thing is it um no yes yeah, so in fact i was um i was struck with in uh this cup in flood plains about how yeah, it's a line i got it right thank god for our dependence to our chasm of need and how it binds us together in face and vulnerability and uh there is a beauty, like, say, about opening yourself up and putting yeah. it out there and then being specific um, about the difficulties and about the situations. And and that's going to help people more if you're that yes. honest about things. Um, yes, and yeah, the
1: specificity, no, okay. people think that universal means I need to take my experience and make it more broad. And I think that you're... People, if it's too broad, it's like they don't, It's like a rock face with no footholds. You don't have any way in. So I'm often talking, you know, people will write a song, and then I'll listen to the song, and they'll say, tell me the story behind this, and the story behind it is so alive. And I'll say, okay, some of that language has got to make its way into the mm-hmm. song, or no, people will not have any way in. It's like mm-hmm. a wall with no doors. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that, yeah, the more we can kind of speak to in um, the song – the song nothing it's very it's personal at the end of sorry you want it's at the Mm -hmm. end of my last record and it's about this a person who's maybe not emotionally available and they don't basically tell the people in their life that they love them and Mm -hmm. it's the family kind of reflecting on okay we you kind of move through different emotions you move through really (laughs) Mm incredible incredulousness Um, are you kidding me? Like you have nothing good to say to anger. Like this isn't about you. (laughs) And, um, to sorrow, sadness, like, yeah, actually it would be nice. I could use that. I could use your support. And then at the end to hope of like, I'm going to hope and believe, give you the benefit of the doubt that all Mm -hmm. that same stuff is in you. You just don't know how to get it out. And, um, so I moved through those Hmm. different emotions and that's like, Again, it was very personal to me and someone, you know, that I worked them close with, but it also, I can't believe the number of people and especially the guys in my life, the guys that were playing on that song, all of them came and that father, I was, you know, that father son relationship, I was really surprised it it really hit a nerve with Mm -hmm. in that way. So Um, yeah, so I was, you know, kind of nervous about writing this Is someone going to feel like I'm talking about them or no one actually, no one identified with that song or felt like, Oh, I think you're talking about me. It was, Mm. um, but I felt like I'm really grateful that I responded to that conflict in me and, and kind of worked it out.
0: Yeah. I think, I wonder whether it's a, um, a bane of artists that we think we're unique Um, But actually, our art depends on us not being unique and the Mm. fact that we have shared experiences, but as artists, we're able to express those experiences. So we're able to give words to situations and feelings and so on that other people maybe haven't got the words for, but they're still feeling it all. They're still going through it. Um, And so embracing the fact that we're not that unique (laughs) will actually make our, our art better um, because then it's a shared story.
1: Yes. That's beautifully put. I've never heard it said that way. And I really like that. It's, we are some sort of door or we're playing a role in, in the whole. And that I think gives you a, a better sense of your, yeah, sort of like your, your, it's your job. (laughs) Yes. Your job. I remember Charlie Peacock saying to me, um, Early on, he said a couple things that really shaped the way that I write. One was God is the ocean, and we keep writing about a cup of water. That really has stuck with me, and I've been trying to write about the ocean ever since. <laughs> the, the other thing he said was that he said, "You know, you're a contemplative. That's your. Not everyone does what you, they, does what you do. They don't wake up, and for you, it might be a bit haunting. You know, it it's a bit." makes mm-hmm. you crazy. And it you, you wonder why can't I be like everybody else or, or, or kind of, why do I do this? You may, I didn't even know that, that that was unique to me in the sense that yeah. I just was a navel gazer at the nth degree, you know? So, but Charlie yeah. was saying lots of people go to work, they do their job, they're having this conflict in their marriage. They don't even know how to address it or what it is. They stick in, you know, my fireflies and songs was my really marriage sort of relational record and they stick that in and something, oh yeah, that's what I'm experiencing. And, and so he kind of put it in a very pedestrian space instead of like uh cause we do have this weird relationship with artists. Right. And of like, you know um, the way that we have sort of hierarchies of who's making it and who's what mm. and what you're actually doing. And, in and, and that the pedestal obviously, uh, mm. but yeah, Charlie kind of made it more domesticated. It made it more pedestrian. I'm like, yeah, that, that that's a job, that's mm. a role that we need someone mm. in the community to sort of like go go mine the language yeah. for our different experiences. Yeah, so I yeah. love that.
0: Yeah, it's a bit. I do a lot of children's music, and mm. a, a big sort of philosophy behind what I do is it's the fact that children, even more so than adults, lack the words. To express things. And that's why I think as a, a children's songwriter, it's important to write about struggle and suffering and even death because yeah. kids experience all of that mm-hmm. as well. But they really lack the vocabulary to... And when uh. you don't have the vocabulary, you struggle to understand something. But as soon as yes. somebody puts a word to something, oh, okay, it suddenly comes alive. <sighs> yeah. And so being able to do that and do that for kids and and adults is it, so vital, Um Yeah.
1: I love that. I love that. And you're right. How alone did you feel as a kid? That's, you were just trying to make sense of the world. I I think childhood is such a, we're innocent. We have our innocence, which is,
2: Mm.
1: you know, when we lose that, we we see it. We, we have that awareness. Um, but yes, that place without language is very Mm -hmm. lonely and, and and, uh, you know, to the kid, I think when you interview people about their childhoods,
2: mm. there's
1: just so much, yeah, unnamed feeling in that space. Mm. And that's beautiful. I love that. What a lifeline.
0: Mm. Well, and, and thinking about it in terms of, well, grief, uh, abuse sufferers, um, depression, how, uh, those are very lonely places as well. And you can feel one of the big things is that you feel so alone. Um, and so having somebody who walks alongside you and just says, "I've been there." It's like in, in The West Wing when um, uh, Josh. Do you know the episode where? Do you watch West? Did you watch The West Wing back it's in the day? It's been a
1: while. Yeah, it has
0: been. So when Josh is is struggling um, with uh, trauma, and um, mm. the chief of staff, who struggled with alcoholism,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: he tells a little story about. Um, somebody coming along somebody's fallen in a hole um but instead of uh it, it's a tr- trying to pull him out or whatever he gets in the hole and he says well that's no good you're in the hole with me now he says yes but i've been here before so i know the way out yes and so they're getting alongside people and going and a big thing is just going oh i'm not the only one yes. and that immediately just gives some some rays of hope and and art is just such a wonderful way to express it. Because like you say, artists are contemplators. So they're analysing and working this stuff out. And if they're good artists or musical and writer artists, they're good with words. So they can find those words or words for it. Um, yes. Ah, that is, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, maybe we've answered this already, but you, you seem comfortable, if that's the right word, with being vulnerable um is it does it always come naturally that you go I've heard this story I've I've just got to get it out there or is sometimes is, is it a bit of a battle going I should I should tell this or I should express this but I'm not sure if I can
1: yeah I think we still have like hierarchies of acceptable sins and acceptable struggles you know I think that exists so um sometimes I think I'm being very vulnerable and then I'll I'll sit down with something else and think like, Ooh, I could, but I could never talk about that, you know? Mm. So I think it's not that I have, I'm not trying to build a mystery here. Like I have these, you know, vast secrets and stuff like that. I just think that's human reality that, that like, you know, yeah. Like I think we're all in the soup. My mom said the other day, she was reading the story about Jesus drawing the line in the sand and she said, he basically says, you know, if you're an alien from outer space, you can make this call. If you're a human being, you can't make this call. And she just said, you know, we're all in the soup. We're all treading water. Mm. And I don't know, it was a new persp- it was a good like yes, that's that's also giving me language for uh, some days these days I feel like i um, the with usness of God, what you just said in the in the the West Wing reference, yeah, mm-hmm. the with usness of god is is the gift, you know, and I, again, I grew up in a space that was like we had to claim victory, we were it was very bootstrappy in the sense that it was like um we mm. were attempting to be holy that you know mm. God's work through us could only happen the, the cleaner we were. The more efficient or effective that, you know, work was going to be of being a conduit. So then you have this, um, in my experience anyway, and I won't judge everybody who's trying to be holy, but
2: in my experience,
1: <laughs> it created a very siloed. I was then on my own to get holy, so that God could mm. then do his work through me. And it was a very siloed, wow. lonely, and and then very performative, masked. Experience, so I still have some of that mask. I definitely still think if I were to talk about these things or this, um, I would be, you know, really judged <laughs> because that was, you know, you were going to church and coming together, and there are a lot of wonderful things I loved about growing up Pentecostal. And there's a real sweetness about um, there was a uh, a uh, a real openness to like. The way that I express myself to God, the way that I yeah. I loved like Sunday night altar time, we just you just go and like, you know, cry. And <laughs>
2: I just yeah.
1: as an emotional person, I and you're sometimes you're down, you know, you're and it's so physical, like you're down at the front with your whole family mm. on your knees, mm. hugging each other. I mean, you know, there it's like it's very emotional, but it also is like very there's something very beautiful about it to me. There's also I had to find God outside of my, my emotions and like not always that what couldn't be the only measure of God's activity in my life. If I'm feeling mm-hmm. really super worked up, that that means God's at work. That yes. <laughs> I had yes. to find a new way to 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 know that God was. But so that with it with usness of God, um, to me is is more the the point these days because it's just like we're all on this we're all in the soup, you know, we're all just kind of like making our way. And so how much more so love and kindness and gentleness, like it's needed. It's the only thing that, that communicates because when we come at it from this thinking that we have a footing or a leverage that we don't actually have to me, that confessional life, that kind of constant, like I'm in the soup, we're all in the soup is a better place to come from because then Mm -hmm. it allows for curiosity about my neighbor. Like, how are you doing? (laughs) You know, what if, what are you, what have you found and and are you okay? You know, and, and a little less like I made my way out of the soup and I'm not, you know, so where you're, I don't know, you're operating from a place that, that, that actually isn't real. Um, Mm. And I think that bears out in, you know, what I read in Romans and what I read throughout, the thing throughout scripture. But I think that's, that's like kind an of in, interesting um, thing to me of like, uh, maybe there, there's just very few calls that we can make and we're really just the fruits of the spirit are like what speak and what actually have uh, lived value, you know, in this mm. <laughs> treading <laughs> experience Crazy world. that we're in. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was a tangent about soup, but
0: no it's a very it's a very helpful one isn't it um and so related to that um with the new album you talk a lot about what goes before um how we remember things both the good and bad so i guess this is related how do you how do you feel those experiences of hurt and struggle shape shape us shape you today shape our relationships
1: well, here, we're, and it's not just in the United States, everywhere, we're experiencing a, a rift, a tumult, a you know, like, it's, um, it's, you know, in our national dialogue, and it cuts right I down know. to our kitchen tables, and we're all doing that, wow. so this record was my way of In again, in this, I'm treading water alongside everyone else, and we're we're trying to like find our way and find our space, and everyone's laying claim to Jesus and laying claim to he would be on my side, he would be on my side, and you have this rearing of for us a big time Christian nationalism. Like, let's just we should be in charge and we should be. Um, uh, you know, making ourselves a Christian nation in these ways, top down, power over. And um, right. so, yeah, and then I'm in a city, I'm in St. Paul, Minneapolis, that's the, the Twin Cities. So um, mm. we've had a a, a racial reconcil- reconciling or, or, or a confrontation, a, a, a conversation just explode out on the world stage um, with the murder of George Floyd. Mm. So this record is my trying to grapple with both that, the national conversation and the conversation around my kitchen table, because people I love and thought, I can't believe, I, I mean, you, I thought you would be in my life. And there's a woman that was like a second mother to me and we've had ideological differences and mm. it's had real world. And and then you can't believe the things that are coming between you, you know, um, someone you, you feel like I, you were the one showing me, Way you were, you were the one inviting me into this uh gospel life, this you know, Mm. um, this God way, and and I I kind of can't believe what you're taught, what you're saying. You know, this has been difficult for me, and so I've always been a justice minded person, and so I want to learn, especially here in the Twin Cities. You know, our my family, those events, uh, George Floyd, um, the the crossroads where that happened was 38 in Chicago and we lived at 42nd in Chicago for 10 years. So wow. we went right down. That was our neighbor that had been our neighborhood. We went right down and we were in the middle of all the feelings of everything that was going on and, wow. um, n- not later into the night, but we were there, you know, first day. And then I just was, we were taking our kids out to just, let's go listen to people. Cause people are saying there are two Minnesotas. There's a a white Minnesota and there's a black experience here that is totally different. So, yeah. I was trying to work with not just ju- not just our civic dialogue here, but also it's permeating everything. And um, I tend to go I tend towards grief. Uh, some people I know tend towards anger. You know, okay. um, Troy yeah. was out having street fights on Facebook. You know, <laughs> my husband was. He's very, you know, he's, he's very a big personality and like he's vocal okay. and, and I don't love conflict. And I, you know, so we all are reacting in our different ways and I'm, I'm off in the weeds now, but I, if you listen to the song, every song has sort of like, it's touching on some broader topic like church abuse or something like this, but it's also yeah. then. Really, bringing forward my the grief around the the people involved, you know, and um mm-hmm. yeah, so remains mm-hmm. of the date that's you know that's I had someone close to me that was just absolutely tuned up and spit out by a mega church in a mega church situation, and you know you have these people that are supposed to be sowing wheat, and you mm-hmm. look up and realize they've been sowing weeds <laughs> for a long time and yeah. What now? What? Where do we go from here? And I, I was trying to say, I think we can still be noble. I think we can still, like, let's let's keep telling the truth. Let's keep, you know, um, reflecting, turning on the light. Let's keep turning on the lights on these spaces that have become, you know, secretive and dark. And um, yeah, sorry, that's all over the place. But this <laughs> no, this record, I was quite this,
0: um, as I was writing my own album exploring the grief and hope has quite struck Although those it came out of um, my dad dying but the whole experience and experience that other people had in terms of church and church abuse and things um it's a grief of its own it's a yeah. grief and it's a loss um but there's but there is hope mm. the gospel does bring hope it does bring light um yeah. Yeah. So, um, come to my final question. What's next for you? You produced, you mixed and engineered your recent album. I, I did not, I just produced it. And you know, I
1: was like the, I'm, I'm on the computer. My little setup right here is where I write. So it was very rudimentary, but I, I would build the track, send it around to friends, get it back. And then I send it to my friend, uh, it was mixed by two friends, Ben Gal and John Mark Nelson, and then yeah. mastered. So, yeah, I still, um, still sent away for those, those steps. But Absolutely. it was, it was stretching enough. The <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so what's next musically for you?
1: Um, When I went last year to, away to like, I went on a stillness retreat and to think about where am I headed and, Um, And over and over again, I I felt I'm supposed to put my parents in the center of my attention. And Mm -hmm. so I am still writing. Uh, It's been a very full year of collaboration. I just wrote with Ginny Owens, and I've been writing with um, Paul Zock and different writers here. And um, so I've had kind of a year of collaboration, uh, but I haven't started my own sort of thing again um, because I am in this journey, both my folks are have new diagnoses that are difficult, mm. and especially my dad is terminal, so we are um yeah they 're in the center of they just moved here about a mile from me, and so we're all again uh treading water and I see my family on a raft and all these little pictures, but I see us and my job these days is to just check in, even with my kids, my parents, you know everybody okay and yeah. um Someone needs to be attending to, you know, just checking in on everybody. And so that's a big part of my life right now is caregiving and, and making sure everybody's, you know, able to talk about what they're up against. So that, and then I'm still writing and working, but I don't have any concrete music plans, but Art House is at work all the time, the, our art center across the street. And mm. um, we are having a lot of fun there. So if you go to arthousenorth.com, we have some things online. We About half of what we do is um, is in person. Well, maybe three-fourths of what we do is in person, and then about a quarter of what we do is online. And there are a lot of resources for artists. We do, in partnership with Art House Dallas, we do uh, songwriter groups, feedback groups, writers groups um art house dallas has virtual artist groups so all of those things are online and it's really a great way to if you've you know felt like i want to share what i'm making with somebody it's a great way to do that
0: that's brilliant the links will be in the show notes Mm -hmm. so people head straight there what song should we play out with
1: i'll let you choose honestly um you've mentioned a few so uh whatever you think.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you,
1: Michael. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Editor Michael here. And before we have a listen to that track, here's a reminder that you can win a mega bundle of books, courtesy of 10 of those, including the first book in the Wingfeather series, and all nine titles from the Reformation Lightning series, which includes the first two books by author Hannah Hess, who we'll be interviewing later in the series. The full list of books is available in the show notes. To win, share a link to this show on social media and make sure you tag at Michael J. Tinker so that I know you've done it, and I'll enter you into the prize draw. We'll announce the winner at the start of episode three next week, and then we'll have another huge giveaway. So, share a link to this show on social media, tag at Michael J. Tinker, and uh, you could be in a chance of winning that huge bundle. Okay, here's Sarah Groves.
2: Questions are drawn like a thin red.
0: Thank you for listening to When There Are No Words. Remember, you can support the show on Acast Plus, where you'll get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and other gifts. See you next time.